alcohol, terrible for regular sleep cycles, too much sugar, terrible for regular sleep cycles, drugs, uh, disrupts your sleep cycles. I, I focused on really getting a great sleep regimen going over the lockdown. And I ended up decreasing and then eliminating alcohol. And it was like, not night and day, but it was the most striking thing. It's like, oh, okay, now I see it is so much better. And a good sleep not only helps your brain kind of grow and, and benefit sleep. Good sleep is like brain plasticity tool that you can use, but it also helps us emotionally regulate better. That helps us deal with the stresses and anxieties of our lives in a much more directed and positive way. Mm. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Dr. Suzuki is a neuroscientist and professor of neuroscience and psychology at the Center of Neuroscience at NYU. Her research heavily focuses on brain plasticity, and she is best known for her extensive work studying areas in the brain critical for our ability to form and retain new long-term memories. Dr. Suzuki's TED Talk has more than 31 million views on Facebook, and it was the second most watched TED Talk of 2018. She has also penned two books, and her latest book, Good Anxiety, Harnessing the Power of the Most Misunderstood Emotion, is an absolute masterclass on how to transform your relationship with anxiety and use it as a powerful tool for growth. In today's conversation, we talk all things anxiety, including the different types and why it can actually be healthy for you. Dr. Suzuki and I chat about why so many people have a hard time dealing with anxiety, and she also shares some different techniques that you can use to improve your relationship with anxiety, both short-term and long-term. We also get into the subject of neuroplasticity, including what it is and why it plays such a pivotal role in your brain's ability to handle anxiety. Dr. Suzuki and I discuss how changing your perception of anxiety can allow you to use it to your advantage. She also shares some things that exacerbate anxiety, and we also discuss the neuroscience of exercise and why it is so beneficial for improving your brain's response to anxiety. She will also reveal the most shocking things she found when conducting her research on anxiety and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dr. Wendy Suzuki to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Doug. Happy to be here. I know. I, I cannot wait to, to talk to you because I just got done reading your book, Good Anxiety, and it's phenomenal. It's spectacular. And it's so relevant to not only which, what's going on right now, but to what we've been dealing with for such a long time. And I guess where I want, where I'd like to start the conversation is I'm pretty sure there's people listening to this that have an idea of what anxiety is. They, they understand mm -hmm. it, I think, from a baseline yeah. level. Right. But I think a, an interesting point that you talked about in your book is where you talked about how anxiety in, in a way is, is good for us. It's meant to yes. alert us like when we were born, like from a biological and physiological level, it's meant to keep us alive in a way from different threats. 
Exactly. But when, but when do you feel, or how do you feel, or why do you feel, I guess, if you will, why has anxiety become such a problem and yeah. it's not being used for good anymore? Right, right. Well, you know, this goes for anything. Too much of anything, too much of anything even good becomes bad. Chocolate, too much chocolate, you know, a little bit of chocolate, great. Too much chocolate, bad. And so stress and anxiety, I think one of the core ideas and foundations of the book that people don't realize is that anxiety and the stress response that underlies it have been with us for millions of years, 2.5 million years ago, you know, our ancestors had these same responses and they evolved over the last 2.5 million years to protect us, protect us from the threats in our environment. And that is still a very important purpose of stress and anxiety, but too much of it, just the constant kind of evocation of anxiety that comes with uncertainty. And we are living in an age of uncertainty has kind of put both stress and anxiety on overdrive. And we've lost the protective aspect and we're just dealing with too much, too much right now. And so the key, the key idea is that it is protective for us. That's what we need to start to understand as we bring our anxiety back into check so it can be helpful for our lives. Now, you make some really good points that it's like too much of anything can be bad, right? And I think yeah. from what I understand in the book, you talk about like the prehistoric, I guess, if you will, mm-hmm. mechanism of anxiety. It was meant to keep us alive. Yes. But what's happened is that response has stayed the same while we've evolved as human beings and we haven't Mm -hmm. learned to to harness it consistently in a good way sure there's there's been a lot of progression in the mental health space and the anxiety space and people have learned things like meditation breath work Mm -hmm. exercise but i think Mm -hmm. as a whole people haven't seemed to to grasp onto that so do you think that it will from a biological standpoint, do you feel it'll ever get better where that that response, our stress response won't be nearly as intense? So the thing is that in a, in a sense, it's a good thing that our stress response is intense because it, it's trying to help us. And what we need to do is realize that we are living in a kind of stress and anxiety provoking situation. Understand that. And regulate it down with all the tools that I talk about in the book, including the ones that you, you, you mentioned meditation, physical activity, so that we can get back to that optimum kind of optimum level. I talk about, you know, there is a performance arc where everybody has felt this like little bit of activation. I, I talk about it in terms of giving a talk. So if I'm not that energized, I don't give a very good talk, but I give my optimum talk when I'm a little bit scared. I have, you know, a little bit of that fire that I really want to do well. That's when I give the good, the best talk, but I could easily tip over the edge too much negative energy activation. And then I start forgetting what I'm going to say. And I start stumbling over my words. That is a beautiful metaphor for kind of where we are. We're all stumbling over our words because we're, we're overactivated and the book helps give people tools that they could use today to decrease that level of energy activation that underlies anxiety and get to that optimal level. So you can use it to 
help yourself perform better, to take that advantage of adversity, to use right. the to use the title of this great podcast. You're touching on something that I think is, is super important for people to hear. And that's like the, the ability to change the way we think about anxiety and our perception of a situation. And that was one of the game changers for me in my own experience with anxiety was while anxiety can be scary and it can be fearful and you can face all this uncertainty, I think what really get gets people is the these the physical sensations that come along with it, right? Yeah. Or the, the rapid heartbeat, the goosebumps, the jitteriness, the, yeah. the tingly fingers. And and what I learned is that the the same feelings of the same feelings that come along with being excited come mm-hmm. along with being anxious. And I know you mm-hmm. talked about that in your book and with a particular, I think it was a student of yours who was fearful of public speaking or giving a talk and you kind of allowed him to shift his narrative and shift his perspective and really harness anxiety. So if if you could talk about like that, maybe that situation and how people in a everyday scenario can shift their perspective or their perception to use anxiety to their advantage. Yeah. Yeah. So in that story, I had a student that was very, very anxious of public speaking, which is so common. That's why I love this to share this one because everybody has, many people have this, the same fear. And so what I said was, and it was, it was, you know, as a, as a teacher and his mentor, I knew that in certain situations, he could be so great in casual situations in our, in our more uh, informal lab meetings. He was funny and he, he really knew his stuff, but, but he just froze like a deer in the headlights in front of a, a wider audience. And so I reminded him, or I didn't remind him, but I asked him, are there any other kinds of fears that you have that you, you are like, yeah, I, I've got that. I, I am fearful about this, but, but, you know, I, I manage it. And he said, yeah, you know, financial <laughs> and I, I'm just a poor graduate student. And I am worried about, about, you know, my financial future, but I am dedicated to, you know, sticking out this graduate school and making not much money to get through. And I said, well, that's great. You are harnessing, you are um, getting over that anxiety. Can you use that example in your own life to try and get over this fear of public speaking? Because it's the same kind of process. So I I really like that idea. And, but it's not just, you know, okay, go ahead, try try it out with that idea. I, of course, worked with him. One of the best things is to talk about it. We talked it through. We talked about what he felt like, what, what, the, what the kind of sticky points were. And I, of course, had observed this happen to him. And what we ended up doing is just practice, 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 practice. I threw the hardest questions that I could at him. And he got really good at answering. And I said, look, I, I'm a professor. I know that these are some of the hardest questions that you will get. You could answer them. How are you feeling? He said, better. Hmm. And, and with that kind of both coaching, the realization that he had already gotten through it, he uh, actually came through it beautifully. And the thing that I saw him doing that I hadn't articulated at that point, but it really came out when I was writing this book. The most surprising thing I, I realized about my own anxiety when I was writing the book is that I found myself making friends with my own anxiety. It's like 
those feelings are not there to push you down. They're there to heighten your awareness about certain situations. And for him, it was the fear that some smart professor would ask him the question that he could not answer. And, and so, you know, the realization that he may not be able to answer all the questions, but he knows more about that data set than anybody else. And so, so, um, that that so it turned his fear of that into just a warning signal it's like yeah i i'm worried about that but you know what i'm going to do i'm going to practice with wendy and i'm going to have her ask me all the questions and i love doing that because it makes me feel confident every single time she asks me the hardest question and i struggle but i get through so so it's about not uh, shifting your emotions this is not a warm cuddly friend that I'm talking about. This is a prickly friend. Your anxiety is a prickly friend, but tells you how it is. It tells you what are your fears? What are your values? What are the things that you love in this life that you want to preserve? And when I did that, that is when I had my breakthrough for my anxiety. It's like, ah, I could let my guard down and I could just learn from it. And, and that doesn't mean I don't have those feelings and that fear is still there, but it's like, Ooh, what is my fear telling me? What should I be looking at? And I think a common theme, not just from your book, but even from the story you just shared is this idea of, of resilience and building neuroplasticity in your yeah. brain, because mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people that they're, maybe they're listening to this or just people in general that they think the way they deal with anxiety is just going to be the way they, the way they deal with it forever. They're like, Oh my gosh, it's just the way I am. I mean, I'm an anxious right. person. I'm a fearful yeah. person. I act this way. And in reality, like there's a lot of people, including myself, including you who have been that person, but through practice, through building resilience, just through time, like putting yourself out there and just saying, yeah. okay, like I know that if I run away from this problem, it's going to teach myself when things get tough to run away. But mm -hmm if I can learn to kind of reframe the situation, accept what is and know that anxiety, frankly, is, is part of life. Yeah. Like life's going to happen and, and you're a human if you're getting anxious about certain things and then learn to, to, to be optimistic, have that, that peace of mind, knowing that whatever you're going through is happening for a reason. And then you just yeah. learn from whatever situation you're in. And then that builds this resilience muscle that I know you talk a lot about mm -hmm. in the book. Yeah. And, and I want to kind of double click on neuroplasticity because that's a buzzword. Now you hear it a lot, you hear it yeah. a lot. So in, in your definition, like what does neuroplasticity mean? Yeah. And, and then how can using neuroplasticity like be used as a mechanism for people to really change the way they, they manage their anxiety? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May at Earth Echo Foods. As you know, Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products, which I absolutely love. This includes the newly released Island Bliss, which I take every day in my smoothie along with Cacao Bliss. Island Bliss is loaded with superfoods and is sweet enough to satisfy any sweet tooth. This blend is focused around 12 organic greens to support a gut nourishing, mood elevating, energy increasing, and metabolism boosting protocol. It also includes their Vitaberry blend, Aquaman, Spectra, turmeric, topping it all off with a prebiotic and probiotic blend. All of this together makes Island Bliss the easiest way to get nourishing superfoods every single day. Much like Cacao Bliss, Island Bliss is the best of the best when it comes to taste and you'll be left craving more. Island Bliss will help elevate your well-being and prepare you for the day ahead. 
Not only that, it's dairy-free, soy-free, and gluten-free. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, it's earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Island Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. So brain plasticity is a topic that has been the theme of my neuroscience research career since, since day one. Brain plasticity means it refers to this amazing ability of the human brain to learn and change and adapt to the environment around it. So you give your environment or you put in that environment kind of brain enhancing activities like exercise, like meditation, like good sleep patterns, and your brain responds by growing and and responding in in a positive way. However, there's also negative brain plasticity such that constant levels of stress and anxiety that we've just been talking about can actually first kill the input structures of your brain cells called the dendrites and then kill the cells themselves. And so our brain has this wonderful capacity to adapt and that including learn, learn and remember, learning and remembering, which is what we can do is also a a category of brain plasticity and studying the capacity of the brain to have brain plasticity is what makes me so optimistic that everybody that is suffering from everyday anxiety, 90% of the population say, yes, I have anxiety, everyday anxiety can take all of the tools in my book, Good Anxiety, and apply them to their lives so that it's not inevitable that you just have to grin and bear it as like, oh, I can't do anything about it. I want it to leave. And and it feels just like this anchor around your neck. But instead, you can learn these techniques, starting from immediate ones of deep breathing that could immediately quell feelings of anxiety, all the way up to ones that take more time to really kind of integrate into your life, the mindset shifts that in fact, anxiety isn't all bad. That's the biggest one that I wanted to kind of hit people in the face with, with the title of the book, Good Anxiety. Yes, anxiety can be good, protective, helpful, stress-reducing in your life. That, that is the promise of the book. And, and it's because of brain plasticity that people can, can apply it. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of what really breaks people down isn't like stress. It's just how they respond to the stress. Yes. So people will get these feelings of stress. Something will happen. Maybe it's an email. Maybe they get into a traffic jam or they're just getting into a fight with their partner. And then right. because of that, mm-hmm. they mismanage that and they go off and they'll drink or they'll do drugs right. or yeah. they'll have, you know, they'll spend endless amounts of money. They'll do this or that. And then they're teaching themselves. That's how they to, to battle with anxiety or how to battle mm-hmm. with stress. And then their confidence in themselves to be able to manage things in a healthy way, like goes down because yeah. they're proving to themselves that, okay, okay, every time I get stressed, my life gets even more chaotic right. instead of when, every time I get stressed, I'm going to use this to my advantage and say, okay, like, why am I stressed? Like what's going right. on? What can I do to change this in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. And then you grow from that. You learn from that. You get wiser as a result of that. And, and I think one of the things that you talked about in the book that really was, was fascinating. And it was enlightening that you talked about this was the importance of exercise, because Mm -hmm. I think that is something Mm -hmm. that doesn't get talked about nearly enough Mm. on the importance of managing stress in the short term, 
on the importance of managing depression in the short term, on the importance of managing anxiety in the short term and in the long term, like why you should make this part of your daily practice so that you can be more efficient in managing stress and anxiety. So, so why is it so important from your perspective yeah. to move your body and exercise? Right, right. Okay, so here's the neuroscience underlying that. And it's um, as easy to understand as this. Every single time you move your body, you are literally giving your brain what I like to call a neurochemical bubble bath of good neurotransmitters, growth factors. These neurochemicals include things you've heard of like dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline. That is what causes that, that mood shift, that increase of, of good feelings. When you simply go out for a walk, when he's like, you can't take it anymore, just go out for a walk. And I've shown that exercise can work to decrease anxiety and stress, but also increase positive affect. So you're decreasing negative affect and increasing positive affect at the same time. Mm -hmm. My favorite example to share, because school is about to start, is an experiment I did in August 2020, right before the weird school year that nobody knew what was going to happen at NYU. I was invited to give a 30-minute lecture to incoming freshmen. And I decided to just do a 10-minute lecture and then do a little experiment with the whole group. There were 30, 30 incoming freshmen. And I said, okay, I sent them off to do a quick but clinically relevant anxiety questionnaire took them two minutes. They came back. We all did three minutes of exercise. I happened to be a certified fitness instructor. So this was all over Zoom. I had them all get up. I had music. We all worked out. And then afterwards, they went back and take, took that same anxiety questionnaire. And what did I find? Before the exercise, these freshmen were just shy of clinically anxious. Anxiety was at high, high levels. Just, it was actually 10 minutes of workout, minutes of working out. It was a aerobic kind of activity. Decreased their anxiety scores by 15 points to normal levels. That is powerful. That is something everybody to do, can do. You don't have to do the thing that I did. You have to move your body. Wow. So powerful. Hey, I'm, I'm a trainer. So you're, you're preaching to the choir here. Yes. I love that you said <laughs> that. And, and one of the things that as you were, you were talking about that, that kind of just popped up in my mind was that the people, I think they, they get accustomed to a new level of normalcy based on their lifestyle, based on how they live. And some people are just chronically stressed and anxious and have no idea that they actually are because that's Mm -hmm. just their normal. And that's like their homeostasis. Yeah. And I know you've, you talk in the book about like, sometimes like it's a lot harder for people to manage their anxiety because they just go right back to their normal. And it's like, they're right Mm -hmm. back in their stressful and anxious lifestyle and environment. So like one time of managing anxiety in the right way, isn't going to change anything. Right. So there's a lot of people, especially now that are chronically stressed and anxious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does somebody know that they're in that state? Meaning like, how does somebody know that they're not just experiencing a little bout of anxiety and they, they actually, in fact, have just wired their brain to be anxious and stressed all the time, even though there might not be anything to be stressed about. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. And, and actually brings up a point that I really want to make that that the whole book is for people with everyday anxiety, as opposed to clinical anxiety, okay, clinical anxiety is truly debilitating, and you, you need a medical professional to help. So how do you how do you rate your level of anxiety? And I think that you you need to just 
take a step back and notice how many times during the day you are worried, you are, you are fearful and ask, is that, is that the, the, the percentage of my day that I want to be having these kinds of feelings? So going back 2.5 million years ago, you know, our ancestors that helped develop this, this stress system, they were not stressed 80, 90% of the day. They were stressed every once in a while when the lion came around. And it's, it's, I, that question really speaks to me because my, my go-to is to be an anxiety denier. I, I don't have anxiety. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm energetic. I'm the happy one. And I, I really not, uh, noticed how anxious I really was and how much of the day that I was anxious writing this book. And so it's, how do you do it? You, you have to take a step back and, and be honest with how you are feeling. And, and know that 80% of the day feeling anxious is, is too high. And, and you can, we can shift our day so that it is much more balanced. We need anxiety to, to fuel our activity and to motivate us to do most things. But that's not 80% of the day. Right. And I think in the sim- simplest terms, from what I'm understanding from you, it's like anytime your anxiety is interfering with your work. It's interfering, interfering with your family life, your ability to do, to, to do the day-to-day activities. Chances are you probably should go see a clinician or get medical attention to help yeah. manage that. But I think Mike, the question I want to ask is a follow-up. I mean, I think yeah. probably applies to both people who are clinically anxious and the everyday anxious. So let's just say the person who's experienced trauma, they've They've just been somebody who's chronically been stressed and anxious for a period of time. And their brain, like you said in your book, shrinks, right? And it yeah. has, there's different effect, impact, effects on that. Like, mm-hmm. what are some things that people can do every single day yeah. to mitigate that and help the brain grow back in a healthy way and set themselves up to, um, to navigate their anxiety in a way that's going to help them become more resilient and um, better off over time? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to my friends at Organifi. Let's face it, doing what you can to strengthen your health and immune system is so important right now. This is why I have been taking the immunity blend from Organifi. I also want to say that you cannot supplement your way into immunity or wellness, so make sure that you're taking care of the other areas of your health too. With that said, So many of you are buying immune support supplements, and most of them are honestly garbage. It's important to focus on quality. Organifi's immunity is 100% organic and contains clinically researched beta-glucans, as well as 500% of your vitamin C intake and a healthy amount of ginger, turmeric, and zinc. This combination will certainly help to provide antiviral, antibacterial, and antifungal support and aid in immune function. I find it to be quite delicious and I've passed it along to some of my clients and because it's made with real oranges, make sure to shake it up well so that it blends smoothly to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of immunity from Organifi. Go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug for 20% off your Organifi order. That's www.organifi.com forward slash Doug for 20% off. Now back to the show. Yeah, that's a great question. And let me give you my top three tips for how to kind of bring the brain back into the strength that everybody wants to have. My tip number one comes from all the research I did for my first book, Healthy Brain, Happy Life, which is 
physical activity. That bubble bath of neurochemicals includes uh, a wonderful neurochemical category called growth factors. Growth factors get released with physical activity. It's, it's the more aerobic level of physical activity. They go into our brain and what do they do? They literally help brand new brain cells grow in our hippocampus, the structure critical for long-term memory. And so many studies in, in animal studies have shown that high levels of regular physical activity can grow the hippocampus so it's nice and big and fat and fluffy. And long-term exercise we know in humans can help protect the brain from aging and neurodegenerative disease states. And it's not just the hippocampus, but your prefrontal cortex also is benefited from physical activity, not brand new brain cells. The hippocampus is unique in that, but the prefrontal cortex gets more synapses and it looks like the axons, the outputs of the cells get more myelin. So they're better insulated and the prefrontal cortex absolutely works better with regular physical activity. That's my number one uh, recommendation. Number two recommendation that also works beautifully, regular meditation. And meditation has shown to decrease anxiety, is shown to decrease anxiety levels. It changes your overall pattern of electrical activity in the brain. And my best tip there is start small. Don't try and meditate for an hour first time out. Go for two minutes. Use one of the popular, most popular YouTube videos that you can find with 8 million views. Just check that one and start there because that is a beautiful practice that can grow with time. And it can start with just literally two minutes a day. And my third tip, so there's exercise, there's meditation. And my third tip is um, starting this mindset shifting is what I recommend. Starting with this idea that anxiety is not the thing that I wanna throw out the door, but I can learn from my anxiety. I can learn to channel that energy. What if all that energy that keeps me up at night can make me more productive, can make me perform better? That it takes some practice and some, some showing yourself that it can happen. That's a, the longest term kind of plan. But those are my three tips. So uh, exercise, meditation, and then mindset shifting, yes. like doing those three things, I think on a daily basis. Um, and you're, what you're saying, and I totally agree with you, will definitely help people better manage their anxiety. I mean, we obviously just talked about exercise, meditation. Yeah. I think the mindset shifting, I think that really helps build resilience too, because if, you, if your new normal becomes every time you're anxious, you're like, okay. Mm -hmm. I want to go into self-discovery mode. I want to see like why I'm anxious. I want to see like how I can use this to my advantage. Oh, maybe I am overwhelmed and that's why I'm anxious. Well, what are some things that I actually need to stop doing? Or what are some things I need to do more of? But I think what happens, Wendy, is that when, when that, those feelings happen, people just completely collapse and like, oh my gosh, like, why am I feeling anxious? And then they right. do something that'll make them feel even more anxious. They'll eat ice cream or they'll mm -hmm. sit on the couch and watch TV all day. And then like right. just things start stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. And I think as a result, over time, that becomes their new normal. And the reason that they're so anxious in reality has nothing to do with their life. It's just based on the choices they made in response to certain situations. And, and so I, I guess I want to go back and talk to talk about the everyday anxiety person again. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about perception and how that can really help people navigate and better manage their anxiety in the short term when they're doing something like public speaking or, or that sort of thing. 
but what are some other things that people can do or say like they, they just got a few emails and they're, they're feeling overwhelmed or they just got into a fight with their partner or they just or they're, they're, they're getting, they're going out on a, on a first date for the first time. They're feeling jitters. They're feeling anxious. Like what can people do in those moments to use that situation to make them better? Yeah. So my go-to that I use that I always recommend first thing, especially first date kind of situation. This is something that you can do on the date in the meeting where things are going badly. And, you know, it starts to go four part breath. This is a, a version of meditation. The oldest category of meditation is breath meditation. So I recommend four part breathing. It's a four count on the inhale, inhaling for four, three, two, one, hold it for four, three, two, one, exhaling for four, three, two, one, and then holding at the bottom for four, three, two, one. See, just, just saying it made me less anxious and <laughs> slow, slow down. And that, what is that doing? That's not just some technique you throw, pull out of the air. What you are doing is you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system. That is also called the rest and digest nervous system. It is the nervous system that counteracts your fight or flight system. And deep breathing is one of the only kind of conscious ways that we can start to activate that system. And that's why it's so powerful. It needs a little practice. You don't want to start at the very first time in the middle of a terrible mm -hmm. anxiety attack, but it's also very, very easy. And just breathing, take a, a moment to breathe in and out as your scary date is telling a story can really kind of bring you back into the moment everything is good. I have my breath. And that is my number one kind of go-to for, for immediate relief of feelings of anxiety. Mm. I love it. Yeah. The breath and, and getting connected to your soul and like the mind body connection yeah. is so powerful. Yes. And, and all the, all the tools that you just mentioned, you talked about exercise, you talked about meditation, breath work, mindset shifting. I mean, journaling, I'm sure it can be thrown in yes. there. Gratitude. They're all free. Like these yeah. cost you absolutely nothing. Like, yes. and, and even if you can't afford to go to the gym, there's plenty of free videos online. You can do certain things outside. You can do stuff in the comfort of your home. And yes. it doesn't have to be this, um, this intense, uh, you know, gym session where you're lifting weights for an hour and a half. It can be just a 20 right. minute walk. It can be yeah. like just doing yoga for 15 to 20 minutes, whatever mm -hmm. it is, like just start small and then build off of that. So we talked about things that can help alleviate anxiety. Yeah. I also think it's sometimes in many cases better to just to stop doing certain things that are making it worse. So what are some yeah. things that you've learned in your research that intensify anxiety in a bad way when people are experiencing, like, what are some things that people do that they shouldn't? Yeah. So that, that's a great point. And we go over in the book, I go over in the book, positive coping strategies and negative coping strategies. And you've already, we've already talked about some of those negative coping strategies. I need a drink. Just, let's just drink this anxiety away. Let's smoke whatever makes what I wear, whatever I'm smoking right now. Let's, you know, eat bad foods, you know, sugar, that sugar craving when, when things are getting uh, difficult, which increases stress levels actually. And, and doesn't, doesn't help, even though at the moment, the first, the first might bite might, might be very kind of satisfying. 
So those are really the most common things that people turn to for to try and cope but aren't very helpful. So we categorize them as negative coping strategies. A lot of them do something at at the base of what is so helpful to make our brain strong and to allow us that resilience to be able to deal with the stresses and anxieties of our lives with just sleep. So alcohol, terrible for regular sleep cycles, too much sugar, terrible for regular sleep cycles, drugs, uh, disrupts your sleep cycles. I I focused on really getting a great sleep regimen going over the lockdown. And I ended up decreasing and then eliminating alcohol. And it was like, not night and day, but it was the most striking thing. It's like, oh, okay, now I see is so much better. And a good sleep not only helps your brain kind of grow and, and benefit sleep. Good sleep is like brain plasticity tool that you can use, but it also helps us emotionally regulate better. That helps us deal with the stresses and anxieties of our lives in a much more directed and positive way. Mm. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think the more you can learn to reattach behavior to an emotion, meaning mm. like if you're an anxious person and your default when you're anxious is to drink or is to eat like a piece of cake or is to just call and, and vent for three hours to somebody and you're really just making that situation even worse, you're becoming more emotionally charged and you're, you're it's obviously having, an, obviously having a negative impact on your brain, like that's just going to be your go-to. But if you can learn to just take that, that small step yeah. and say, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Instead of grabbing that drink, I'm going to go for a five, 10 minute walk yeah. and then see how you feel. I think a few things will happen. You'll get that natural, you know, rush of good, yes. good brain chemicals. Right. And then you'll also build some confidence and resilience and saying, oh, I'm really proud of myself for not turning to a drink, or I'm really proud of myself for not grabbing that piece of cake. I, I want to talk to you or ask you the question about an issue that I think it's kind of a hot topic too. And this, this idea of these, of uh, like medication, like SSRIs to help with anxiety. And, mm. you know, some say they're effective. Some say they're not effective. Some say they're, they're not as effective as they seem or like, what's your opinion on them? And when should somebody um, like seek to, to go to a psychiatrist to see if they actually need a, a medication for their anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. So the effectiveness of SSRIs. So first I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not an MD. And I think that, that, that if you think you're at that level where you need medication, go to a medical professional that can help evaluate that. This book is kind of before you get to that level, what are the things that I could change about my life, about my mindset, about the, the, the way I organize my life to address anxiety and be able to kind of take advantage own anxiety. So do they work? They can work. Absolutely. The studies show that they can there, but like all drugs, do they work forever? No. And I would, I would suggest, you know, maybe even if you are on these drugs and, and they're helpful, that's great, but take a look at all of the other things that I talk about in this book, in terms of your lifestyle and how you approach your whole life. A drug is never going to cure all of the issues that surround something as, as complex as your stress and anxiety system, again, that was designed to protect you. Uh, so delving into this and, and 
into those questions and how you can shift your own stress response in a more positive way will always be helpful. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point in that, you know, I think we got to stop using this band-aid approach for our health. And I think should medication, am I anti-medication? Absolutely not. I mean, I've been on anxiety medications my whole life, but I also think there's a lot to be said and it's almost a necessity to really deal, to deal with the root cause of the anxiety and the underlying issues that go along with that and really taking a more holistic approach to change your lifestyle so that it'll, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, hoping it'll help the medication work more effectively. And like when you're at a point where you're ready to get off the medication, you'll have set, you will have set yourself up and have a nice foundation to be able to, to manage your, your own anxiety with natural tools mm-hmm. in a way that's not going to, to lead to, to chaos. And so you've been, you've been studying and, and researching anxiety for quite some time. And you spent a lot of time researching the book. What was one of the most shocking things you discovered in your research about anxiety that maybe people might not be as familiar with? I mean, I, uh, I think the answer to that question is the stat that I started the book with, which is 90% of the people all around the United States identify as suffering from anxiety. 90%. I mean, that, that just blew me out of the water. I knew there was lots of anxiety around. I saw it in my students and my colleagues and myself, but 90%, I never thought that. And that brings me to the thing that I, I've noted as I, I've been talking to people and, and doing the research for this book. There's so much shame around anxiety and oh, I feel anxiety. I have a mental illness. Oh, that sounds really bad. I don't want to have that. But it's really the book is really an invitation to consider that that look around the room. I, almost everybody in this room also is suffering from anxiety. So let's talk about it more. Let's bring it out into the open. Let's talk about these powerful techniques that we could all use to make ourselves better, make our lives less stressful by understanding anxiety more. So it, 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 the most surprising still remains that 90% stat. And it just made me more, uh, more anxious to, in a good way to get the book out and finish the book. So 90% of people either have some sort of anxiety disorder, experience daily anxiety or, or feel anxious at a certain given point in their life. Yeah. So I, I mean, it, the question was simple. Do you feel anxious? Do you suffer from anxiety? Yes. And it includes, of course, the 20%, 20% plus of people that have clinical levels of anxiety, Right. but it also encompasses so many more that have everyday anxiety. Yeah. And, and you talk a lot about this, this notion of, I think you call it activism. In activist your book. mindset. Yeah. You talk about like, you know, the, this activist mindset. I mean, some might call it optimism when it comes to really getting better at managing and dealing with anxiety. So it's a two part question. One, why is that so important? And then two, what are some like simple tools that people can use if there's somebody that when they traditionally hit moments of stress or anxiety, they fall into that pessimistic or like victim mentality. And it, what are some ways that they can shift out of that to become more of an activist or an optimistic have an op- activist or optimistic mindset when dealing with that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So an activist mindset is really one that says that we have the capacity to learn something 
useful from all of our difficult situations, from all the things that make us fearful and to learn and grow from that. And that is a, that is a powerful statement. And it really is kind of one of the statements that, that defined how I approached this book. What, what, you know, what comes from great pain and great hardship? It could be more pain and hardship. That's the non-activist mindset. But what, what I talk about in the book is that wisdom and knowledge and new strategies and even creativity comes from that. So the first thing is just to be aware that that is, that is a powerful way to approach the stresses and anxieties in your life. And the second tip is to start small. Don't try and take the biggest, most scary anxiety in your whole life and deal with that one. Start with smaller ones that, that are perhaps a little bit more manageable and maybe easier to see, oh, actually, you know, I can find a solution to that. And maybe I'm already have creative ways to help myself around this anxiety. Oh, that's great. Look, look, I'm using my creativity to address my anxiety. So um, I think that's, that's the best tip that I could, I could give for that. Yeah. And, and it's so true because I think there's the, the importance of celebrating small wins and stacking small wins when you're feeling when you're in a position where you're you're feeling defeated when you're feeling uncertain it's it's so crucial like yeah. you got to control the controllables and in a mm -hmm. moment where you're facing massive uncertainty one of the things i always like to do is i make a list okay what can i control right now well i can control whether i exercise i can control what i eat i can control mm -hmm. who i surround myself with i can control you know what podcast i'm gonna listen to or what i'm gonna watch on tv i can control like all these things i can control and you'd be surprised what you can control and yeah. then that builds some self-confidence that builds some some sense of optimism because you're like wow like i have all this stuff i can't control and i've been focusing focusing on that for so long yeah. Now I'm going to really lean into what I can control and see how much yeah. my life, how much better my life will be. And it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to have this massive amount of success or fulfillment or money or whatever it is, but it'll sure get you, it'll surely get you a lot further than yeah. if you didn't take that approach. And, and along those same lines, um, I know you talk about how anxiety can actually make us more focused and productive Yes. when a lot of people would argue that it makes us more unproductive and less focused. I mean, just mm. people not, I haven't like read science on that, but so if you could explain and for a few minutes to the audience, like, like how something like anxiety, where we're typically yeah. flustered, overwhelmed, mm -hmm. out of sorts, stressed out, how something like that can actually make us more focused and productive in a positive way. Yeah. Great. So now we're getting to some of the gifts of anxiety that I talk about in good anxiety. And one of them is a gift of focus and productivity. And this gift really comes from a wonderful lawyer that I met during the writing of this book. And I was telling her, you know, I'm writing this book about anxiety and the benefits of it. And she says, Oh, well, I am the high paid lawyer that I am because of my anxiety. And so immediately I said, please do tell what, what is your secret? And she said that, you know, she has and still has, you know, anxiety that that pops up and it pops up in her as in me in a list of what ifs, what if this happens? What if that happens? What, what, you know, what if the other side gives this argument or that argument and I lose and then I'm, you know, I'm humiliated in front of my clients. And she said she ended up using that and shifting 
her what if list into a to-do list and just making all of those worries that come up the to-do list in the next day. And she knew that every single time that she even considered all of these possible strategies that the other side might have that she hadn't considered before, she's making her case stronger and she's making herself more confident. And it even works with them. People say, well, what about existential crises? What about global warming? And I would say, you know, I do this all the time. There are small steps that I, I don't own a car. Yes. I'm, I'm helping global warming. I am buying those, those getting rid of my Tide Pods and I'm doing those, those all natural kind of detergents. There are things, even little things that everything, everybody can do. And it's like, yes, I love this. I love turning my what if list into a to-do list. That is the secret. Mm. It's, it's all about the mindset shift, right? It's like, it's what can you can control? It's like, what yes. can you control in that situation? And if you're exactly. constantly focusing on everything that can go wrong and saying, what if this, what if yeah. that, instead of like, okay, like what can I control? Cause I think, I think you develop this, this sense of peace when you, sh when you shift that way yeah. and you're asking yourself all these what ifs and you go into action mode and you're like, okay, the what ifs are there, but what can I do yes. to help change that or give myself a chance Right. For those things not to happen or for those yeah. things to happen or whatever the yeah. case may be. And I think you're right because here's the thing with anxiety. And I've learned this myself. I don't think it's anxiety itself that, that breaks us in, in some moments. It's the shame and the stigma we attach yeah. to it. Like, yeah. why am I feeling anxious or why am I feeling this way? And then like you put yourself in that negative mindset and you, you fall into this downward spiral and you become a victim and all these other things that we know, like, aren't going to help us get out of that hole. And then as a result, we become more anxious. And again, we teach ourselves to, to respond to anxiety that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so other than being like more productive, building a growth mindset, becoming more resilient, what are some of the, the what are some of the other ways that you found that you think anxiety can be super useful for us? Yeah. So one of my favorites uh, that I share, and I just want to emphasize that, 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 that focus and productivity is literally using your anxiety, using those worries to, to make yourself better at solving that problem that you're worrying about from, from how you, how you performed on that last day or how you did on that last day to, to, you know, your work, your work environment. So it's, it's coming from your own anxiety. It is a gift from your own anxiety. And my favorite gift that I like to share that comes from my own anxiety that I talk about in the book is one from my oldest anxiety, social anxiety. So while I've learned, I'm a teacher and I've learned to not be scared about uh, talking to people and giving talks, I was a very, very shy child. So I had lots of social anxiety growing up. I always wanted to be one of the cool kids and never was. I was the wallflower instead. So I know that feeling. I know that feeling of wanting to ask the question in class, but I'm too scared because maybe I'm wrong and I don't want to look stupid. And that, that stayed with me for a very long time. So I learned how to shift that. But I realized the gift that came from that lifelong feeling of social anxiety is a gift of empathy that I deploy now in my role as a teacher. So I'm standing in front of the classroom and don't get me wrong. I love my students that say, yeah, yeah, ask me, ask me. I know the answer, but I know there's so many more out there that have that same social anxiety that I do. And so I deploy my empathy as a teacher with my particular anxiety, 
by getting to class 15 minutes early and standing there and just like asking people, what are you reading? What are you reading there? So that they can feel more comfortable. Uh, Cause I know it's scary to come and ask the teacher something and, and they don't want to look dumb. So I make it really, really easy for them. And that particular form of empathy comes from my particular form of anxiety. So then I ask you and all of your listeners, how can you bring more empathy into the world because of your special form of anxiety? Wow. I love that. And I've heard empathy be, I've heard empathy described as a way, or I've heard empathy be, I've heard empathy um, come recommended as a way to kind of deal with anxiety and stress and, and different social settings. Like, why do you think that is? Is it something on the brain or is it just the import, the ability of just turning the attention away from yourself onto someone else? Like what specifically about empathy is useful for anxiety? So it is useful because we know that empathetic acts and compassionate acts are very rewarding to us as humans. Um, especially if, you know, they don't know, it's like, I'm going to give you a million dollars, you know, secretly that, that, that gives even a higher dopamine kind of pulse in your brain. It is a naturally occurring kind of de-stressing kind of thing, which is exactly what we need in the world today. What if everybody, you know, suddenly decides I'm going to do one thing that's empathetic based on my own anxiety and help somebody else. We could shift the world. In, in a day. And it's because it is naturally rewarding and de-stressing to us to do this. So it kind of hits lots of different buttons all at the same time. Yeah. And I think the other button it's hitting is being of service, which yes. I think is so important for life. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're going through. And I always tell people when they're having a bad day, like you're never going to regret calling somebody, calling somebody you love or getting into your DMs on social media and communicating yeah. with somebody that follows you. Or one of my favorites is I'll be in line at the at Starbucks in the drive-thru or if I go inside and I'll pay for the person's uh, cup of coffee who's behind me. And you never know. You never know what someone's going through. And that yeah. $2, $3, $4, whatever purchase it is, not only is it going to make you feel better because you're like, all right, I'm actually helping someone else out. And I'm, I'm going to stop being so selfish and continuing yeah. to think about how, how bad my life is or whatever it is. And then somebody else where you, who you have no idea who they are, you don't know what they're going through. You might've just made their day, made their week, yeah. made their year, whatever it is. And, and I totally agree with you. And, and I could sit here and talk to you all day about anxiety because it's a, it's a hot topic right now. And it's something that is near and dear to me with my own struggles. And obviously it is to you, but you know, I just want to be mindful of our time because I think this conversation has been awesome. I think you really got into the, to the nitty gritty of so many things like what anxiety is, you know, why it can be good, why it can be bad, how it can be bad, how it can be good, how to manage it for the long term, how to manage it for the short term. And I think so many people are going to get so much value out of this conversation. They're going to also want to buy your book. So where can people find out more about you if they want to, you know, read more about your work, buy your yeah. book and that sort of thing? Yeah, great. Best place to go is wendysuzuki.com, but also available on Amazon, on iBooks, wherever you buy your books. I also recorded an audiobook, which was so satisfying to be able to read all of that out loud. So those are also on pre-order and will be on sale on Audible and, and Amazon. So that's the best place to go. wendysuzuki.com. Easy to remember. Wendy, this has been incredible. And I will make sure to plug all that stuff in the show notes so that those that are listening can follow you. They can find out more about your work and get your book. 
And for those listening, we talked about a lot here. And some of these episodes where we talk about mental health, anxiety, stress, or ones where you really want to pause a few times and write down maybe a, a tool that Wendy shared or something that she said about anxiety that maybe you didn't know. And then just, you know, pause, write it down, and maybe journal a little bit on how you're going to implement that in your daily life or how you're going to maybe share that with somebody you love or somebody you care about. Because there's a lot of uh, stuff that she said that is, is super relevant right now. And honestly, stuff you can implement like immediately to better yourself, better the way you manage anxiety. And in turn, hopefully your life will get better. And what I'd also like you to do is to take a screenshot, tag Wendy. I'll put her Instagram handle in the show notes, tag myself with a takeaway, whatever it was. Maybe it was something she said about how to deal with anxiety. Maybe it was something about exercise, meditation, whatever it was, tag her, tag myself we love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.